Purple Elephant, food for thought. Don't major in minor things. There's no need to become an expert in file organization. There's no point in becoming an aficionado of camera equipment for your no-budget film. You don't need to master the morning routine, the nightly routine, the warm-up, the wind-down, the meal prep, the coffee break, the keyboard shortcuts, the feng shui of your office. Those are all minor things. And they pale in comparison to the major one. Being in the presence of your creative work. Welcome to Purple Elephant Radio, where we discuss the mindsets, philosophies, and strategies needed to make art and tell stories that make a dent in this era of abundance. This is a show for the unbound creative, the undefinable artists, and the unidentified philosophers. I'm your host, Sean Green. That opening thought was an adaptation of a Jim Rohn speech, which I'll link to in the show notes, but it sums up to this. There's obvious procrastination and not-so-obvious procrastination. What is obvious we can label and consciously avoid. Watching TV, going to the bars with friends. The issue is that there's a lot more not-so-obvious procrastination in our life, which Jim might label as minor time. And I'm probably guilty of majoring in minor things more than anyone. And there's a line that we need to draw between having a hobby, having an interest, wanting to go deep on a topic, and putting off what you truly want to be doing. I, for example, love learning about new videography equipment, most of which I can't afford and isn't relevant to me, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when that interest takes away from my ability to work, or worse, makes me feel like the work I'm currently doing isn't good enough, well, then it becomes a problem. But there's another form of minor time, which I guess is a little bit more relevant to someone of any medium. And that is splitting ourselves between so many passion projects that we rarely feel like we're in the presence of the correct one. It's a form of resistance. It's a form of procrastination. It's a form of fear disguised as ambition, aka the type A personality's way out. And today's episode is going to provide you five new strategies to maximize your time in the presence of, and fill in the blank as you will. I also want to emphasize that this episode is not exclusive to creatives. Being in the presence of can mean anything from, you know, working on a a film or a podcast to wanting to meditate more. I mean, it, it just applies to a goal or project that you've been putting off for whatever reason. But before we jump into the first lesson, I think it's worth touching on the ironic fact that I've been procrastinating on this podcast since I put out the second one for season five. The five strategies I've prepped for you are taking what I've noticed in myself and converting them into lessons, or at least new ways to think about the time you spend on creative projects. If I'm being honest, it's more for my sake than you as the listener, but since I'll be using my own experience for these insights, I'll give you some context to the projects I've overburdened myself with. I'm midway through my next short film. I'm working on producing this podcast weekly, plus the associated Instagram promos and soon enough, the YouTube videos that will go along with them. I'm 70% of the way done with the rough draft of a book I've been working on since October, but it's been at a standstill since February. I'm learning how to code in Python so that I can create a system to automate some of my work for my nine to five job. I'm planning on submitting an old short film to festivals, but I need to sit down and add captions to an eight-minute video. 
wedding season has picked up again and the script for this is being typed out before I leave for my first shoot of 2022. Plus, I'll have another videography client pick back up in May. And all this needs to be worked on outside the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. Maybe it sounds ambitious when it's compiled into one list, but I'll tell you what. Stacked like this, I've created an impossible challenge for myself. And that leads into lesson number one. Avoid the trap of everything always now. Een for short. Everything always now is that unconscious thing we do where we combine all our goals and our ambitions into one chunk in order to A, overwhelm ourselves. I'll explain why we might do that in one second. And B, impress everyone else. I know a part of me wanted to impress you, the listener, when I listed all these things out. And the impress everyone else side of things I think is obvious. We're trained, most of us in the U.S. at least, to talk about ourselves in terms of action, in terms of doing. We ask, what are you up to? What's new with you? And we often answer with what we're working on. And when we talk in terms of doing, we begin to think in terms of doing. And the inevitable outcome of ambition is to stack our scorecard. Now, I know people aren't going around and listing off everything they want to be doing or working on whenever someone makes conversation with them. But what matters is how we're describing ourselves to ourselves. This is so clearly a false belief that we've tied to self-worth and the outcome of our work, at least in extreme cases. But that's a little bit outside the scope of this episode. But what about overwhelming ourselves? Why would we want to do that? No rational person wants to overwhelm themselves unless our ambition has become our excuse, our cop-out, in which case we would associate pleasure with overwhelm, even relief with overwhelm. We may prefer the glass not as half full, but absolutely full and overflowing because it seems better than the alternative of an empty glass. I've definitely been through times in my life where an empty day feels painful. Not hunched over in agony, but the subtle pain of boredom, the subtle pain of guilt I've linked with laziness. The best analogy I can think of is the person who avoids the season finale of a show because they prefer leaving it unfinished instead of being lost without something to fall back on. But what's the solution? If we find ourselves caught in this trap of een, of stacking a three-course meal on top of a tea plate, what do we need to do? We simply need to divide our projects over a long course of time, so that there's never a meal with too full of a plate. And not only that, but the projects that we've scheduled way, way, way out in the future, we need to let those go, temporarily. They're not going to disappear, we're not going to forget about the idea, if it's scheduled, if it's written down. And it's this aversion to scheduling concrete times for specific projects that creates this sense of overwhelm. It's like trying to think up an entire novel inside your head instead of writing any of it down. And as you break up your projects over time, you may realize that to do X, Y, and Z in the span of a month is impossible. As in, you literally cannot find the free time on your calendar. But then how do you pick what to put off and what to do now? And this leads into number two. Master the art of prioritization. I know the intro of this made it seem like anything which doesn't involve working on your passion project isn't worth your time, but mastering the art of prioritization is like riding your bike. Once it's learned in a conscious and somewhat uncomfortable manner, it becomes automatic and intuitive. But that first step will be a little uncomfortable. So if you listed out all your projects you would like to do, could you put them in an order in which they would be finished? Which metrics would you use to pick which goes first? Is it the project that's the most intrinsically rewarding? 
or the most urgent based on external pressures? The one that gets you paid when you finish? Do you pick the one with the most impact? An impact for yourself, as in career advancements or likes on Instagram, or for others, as in the emotional resonance of a piece? Now these questions are for you. What makes you tick? Not what's socially right, what you're supposed to be doing. Avoid the self-guilt you may put on yourself for choosing money over selfless service if that is what pulls you. Now, priority does mean one. And I've been talking about it in terms of a, a longer list of putting things in order, but could you pick one thing to work on until it's finished before moving on to the next? It's not that you have to, but by having that one priority in mind, it allows you to remove this decision fatigue of what will I work on today? You have the priority in mind and you don't need to continually ask yourself what matters in this moment. You know it because you decided and you stuck with that. Number three is automation or creation. Knowing one is needed versus the other. Learn how to automate minor things. This is an idea I've been toying with a lot. And when I think about the peak experiences of my life, specifically related to work and creativity. The joy for me comes from problem solving. And I think that problem solving can be broken down into an automation problem or a creation problem. Automation problems are tasks that repeat without too much variation. Tasks with a way of judging correct from incorrect. Tasks that don't need to be done by you unless they serve some secondary purpose in your life. Sometimes repetition can feel relaxing or be a ritual that warms you up to a creative flow state. And automation is a big word, and I can say that and mean a lot of different things, but to simplify, we'll say there's two forms, external automation and internal automation. External automation being the classic type, involving technology, involving code, or involving you seeking out an already existing software. The edit for this podcast is mostly a tedious process to me. I enjoy adding music, but Cutting out the small pauses and ums is a pain in the ass. There's a software that's been built to do this boring work, <laughs> but I haven't sought it out. And maybe this might be the first episode I try it out. Like I said, this episode is reflective in nature for me, but that's an example of external automation that I could use. I haven't been using it yet, but it's there. I know that software exists. Now, external automation is great. If you can find a way to externally automate your minor tasks, your busy work, your boring work, do it. <laughs> the problem is that complex tasks, especially anything involving motor skills, not just software, it's either it hasn't been invented yet or it's outside our price range. So there's another type that anyone can use for any task that is repetitive in nature. And I call it internal automation. But you can think of it as a personalized how-to. Internal automation is about systems of thinking and systems of doing, which is much simpler than I think I'm making it out to be. We do this for most tasks anyway, but not all of them. I'm sure you've heard the story of Steve Jobs wearing the same thing every day, and that's a form of internal automation. Basically cutting out the decision-making process for minor tasks so that our energy and our willpower can go towards being in the presence of that thing we want to be doing. I'll share a few specifics, but You'll need to adapt this to your personal situation. However, it really boils down to this ultra important idea. Combine your most repetitive tasks into one chunk before moving on to the next set of repetitive tasks. 
When you unload the dishes, it's faster to do all the utensils, then all the cups, then all the plates. Like I said, you probably internally automate tasks without even realizing it. But for creatives, what's an example of this internal automation idea? Well, do you have a consistent naming convention for your files? Maybe you constantly have to click around in a software because you haven't made the attempt at remembering keyboard shortcuts. And again, you don't need to become an expert in shortcuts. You can learn it once and eventually it will just become an automatic thing. For writers, how do you start a new project? For myself, when I make a script for a podcast, it's that short blurb you hear at the beginning of an episode, that purple elephant food for thought. That's what guides the rest of it. And it's usually built off a found idea, something I read, something I heard in a podcast, and something that's been captured in my notes folder, specifically labeled for podcast episode ideas. Another example, the way I title these episodes has also been automated in a sense. I know I'll have something catchy up front, then more specifics in parentheses than a dash in the episode number. That was a conscious choice when I started this podcast. And now that I've made that decision once, the structure is automated. And an automated structure for your creative practice does not take away from your creativity. It enhances it. Creating the boundaries and rules of the work you make makes it easier to generate ideas. So you're no longer caught like a deer in the headlights by the void of infinite possibilities. We only need to fill in the space we've portioned out for ourselves. But a fully automated world sounds like a dystopia to me. Which is why we must balance our automated tasks with time to lock eyes with infinity. And express what we see in our art and our stories. I personally think this is the missing half in some of the more extreme AI research and developers. The point of the game of life is not to automate ourselves into obscurity. But instead, I think it's to automate what we deem boring in order to make time to create. Not to automate out of convenience or to put ourselves in this heaven-on-earth state where we have unlimited pleasures and comforts. No. Creation is a difficult task, but it is worth it. And as a quick tangent, I want to offer a warning slash something to think about as we move into an increasingly automated world. GPS atrophies the hippocampus. That's a gross generalization, but please look at the study I've linked in the description. We know that our brains are malleable and that they're capable of growth at any stage in life, but it's a use it or lose it function. I know I'm making a big leap when I say this, and this is purely speculative, but I predict as speech to type becomes more and more common, and as AI gains mass adoption as a writing tool, or I'm seeing this with stuff like Grammarly, our communication and our thinking skills, I think, will diminish. I've linked a brief section from a textbook that points out 12 differences between oral and written language, but the two key differences between them that I'll point out Word language uses more self-referencing words, as in I, me, mine, and it uses more extreme and exaggerated words, as in always, never, all, or none. Now, just based on that, do you think that our thinking might be affected if we only use speech-to-text to communicate, or if machine learning can fill in the details of thought so that we only need to provide high-level concepts before it generates a whole paragraph of text? I would argue yes, and I would argue that you do your own homework 
and think about it seriously for yourself. But to emphasize again, that's a speculation. It's not based on any studies, but it's me connecting the dots from what I have seen, what I've come across. And that's kind of my pitch to caution you against over-automation. I mean, for fuck's sake, I, I don't write on paper anymore. And I'm sure you could dig up a study on how that affects the brain. But at least typing provides that level of rational filtering and vocabulary enhancement that speech doesn't always have. So that's all to say that acts of creation, whether it's writing, drawing, strumming an instrument, have a secondary importance beyond just being that vehicle to share an idea. The act of pen to paper, of finger to keyboard, it's its own small ritual that should not be given up because it's more convenient to use some AI software. It's the act of creation that's the point. That is what we strive to be in the presence of. Not the outcome, but the progression toward it. Number four, sailboats and motorboats. Adapt to what the world gives you. I know I went a little deep on that last section, so for the fourth strategy, to make time for what matters, we'll keep things simple and metaphorical with the contrasting states of the sailboat and the motorboat. Keep a sail on your motorboat and a motor on your sailboat because both serve unique purposes in the face of the external world. A sail is effective when the winds are pushing against you. We can harness the force of nature instead of inefficiently powering through it. This might translate to using our hard times in life as fuel for art and story. And on the other side of things, a motor is effective when life feels stagnant, when our life situation lacks energy and excitement. In that case, we can use our motor, aka our willpower, to get us moving. At the start of this episode, I mentioned a lot of projects I'm working on. I also mentioned that it's important to prioritize them. But more often than not, it's external forces that shape my priorities in the moment. I can't film my video today because my cameraman isn't available, so I'll write instead. I only have 30 minutes before work starts, which isn't enough to get in the flow state of writing, so I'll do a few coding lessons. Or the turmoil of moving back home and being done with college is the wind that pushes me to focus on my short film, which is expressive of this angst. And in stagnant times, we need to clarify our internal motivations and our why for a specific project. I know I'm beating a dead horse when every episode I mention something about either setting a goal or, or saying why you want to do something, but it is important. Because when the external world isn't giving us any indication or pressure to start, we need to be prepared. It's stagnant times that you want to have your back burner project ready, along with the reason that you want to be doing it because that can be the thing that acts like a fire starter and reignites your passion for creating things when, well, when life seems a little bit boring. Life is windy and then it's not. It's unpredictable, so be prepared for both. Lesson number five is to play full out. Play because it's a game. Full out because we don't need space for doubt. Play full out when you're making something. Play full out when you're relaxing when you're watching TV, when you're cooking dinner, when you're out with friends. It's our doubt that creates a sense of shoulds and shouldn'ts. You don't need to work on your novel when you're watching a fucking movie. You don't need to regret not spending time on your next big art project when you're doodling just for fun. But the doubt and guilt of not doing what you should be doing will arise because we're all human. So what happens then? 
give up. Seriously, give up. There is no special message, no knight in shining armor, no magic words of wisdom that will get you off your ass, except the pain that you either choose to feel when it arises or choose to suppress and ignore and watch more TV and eat more food. The doubt and guilt is the message. It's not words, it's a feeling of knowing that you're not in the presence of what matters to you. I don't give a shit if you're a type A personality and the stress that you're putting on yourself is unbearable. If it is something like a passion project that you've created for yourself, either give it up or work on it right now. It's black or white. Play full out when you're relaxing. Play full out when you're working on your project. And I'll say this applies to creative projects, but it also applies to your self-improvement ambitions. Either meditate or don't fucking meditate. Don't put that secondary guilt of not doing it, but ah, I should be doing it. No one cares if you do or not. Either you're going to or not. So play full out. Play full out. Play full out. The only alternative is to trap yourself in this double bind of your own creation. Cry when you're sad. Laugh when your chest tickles. Tremble when you're scared. Scream when you're angry. Dance like no one's watching and sing like the world is deaf. In truth, there is no way to make time for what matters. All we can do in a given moment is perceive it as either the greatest and most precious moment of our existence or struggle against it and dream of hazy futures which will never exist because we refuse in this exact moment to put ourselves in the presence of. If you like this episode, it would mean a hell of a lot if you rated it on Spotify, on iTunes, left a nice review. Thank you.